Welcome back to Bitten Peach Pod. Uh, although I, I, I suppose welcoming you back assumes that you have listened to the podcast before. And if you have, welcome back, baby. Hello, nice to see you. If this is your first time listening to the pod, you're very much welcome here. You're welcome to jump into the pod, get all snuggled up with these peaches in our pod as we talk about all things queer and Asian. Because this is a queer Asian talk show where queer Asians talk about queer Asian things. And that is whatever we deem to be queer and Asian. I am your host. My name is Shay Shay, non-binary Asian performer, writer, director, drag performer, whatever, whatever. And I am honored to be biting down with another peach today. We're going to bite into this peach, a juicy, delicious, talented peach. Who I've known for many, many years now, but I'm excited to get to know on a deeper level here in the Zoom room. We have a singer-songwriter in our midst. We have an internationally touring, dancing diva extraordinaire. Please brace your legs and your ears and your arms. This is going to be a full body experience. Welcome into the room. It's LaPhil. <laughs> Hello. Full body experience coming at you. Okay, that's what we need. That's what we need. The full body experience from our head to our toes. And I will tell them because the podcast can be a visual experience that you have hair from your head down to how low does it go these days? Uh, Down to my little toe now. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The littlest toe. (laughs) You actually can't get a pedicure and paint your nails because your hair just rubs it off, doesn't it? It is a problem, yeah. It is definitely a problem and issue, especially when you sit down to the toilet and you get it trapped on that seat. Yes. And you don't know until that vital moment and everything's caught. (laughs) (laughs) And it just gets... (laughs) Wrapped, wrapped right up into the mess. But you have so much hair on your head. And as I've known you, it's just gotten longer and longer. But it is so beautiful. Can you tell me? Because you know I've been on a hair journey. I've been on a hair journey for many years now. I think I've been trying to grow my hair for five, six years. And I still haven't reached the nipples. That's the goal. I want mermaid length. I want to emerge from a body of water with my nipples covered by my hair. Can you give me any hair tips? First of all, yes, nipples, I love it when they're covered with hair. It has that little tantalizing reveal, like a curtain pulling back and <gasps> and seeing what the neighbors are up to. Oh. Uh, <laughs> with my hair, oh my God, you know, loads of people ask me, uh, strangers that just reach out and grab my hair. <laughs> and oh, I bet they do. <laughs> I bet they and do. And they go, what do you do? And I, and honestly, actually, I really don't do that much with it. I, I use I use a nice little organic shampoo that is, um, S, what are those like evil things in, in shampoos? SLS things or like... No parabens. That's it. Something like that. I can't remember. I was taught this. Yeah. But um, that's... I'm not sure either. <laughs> Always use organic shampoo because I think most of the shampoos have like this thing, which basically is a paint stripper that strips stuff back. So... Um, spend more on the shampoo but you can spend less i think on conditioner because actually you could use oils you can use i use tresme because actually it's the stripping of oils which is the bad thing for your hair you need oily hair oil is good yeah so to keep the nourishment in there so um so yeah Mm. organic shampoo and do you know what it's all about from within so keep drinking that water keep um vitamins all that we all know I'm a very thirsty bitch. Aren't we all? God loves us for it. <laughs> Some people will say that people like you and me, we have a genetic disposition for long, straight, powerful hair because of the Asian, you know, because of the Asian. But I recently, I got tired of the straight and I recently had um, an airwave perm. Do you know anything about this? I actually do not know anything about it, and I've been chastised by my friends about it. And yeah, tell me. I want to know. Why would they chastise you about it? I mean, I had one done, and I couldn't really tell you much about it. So it was a perm, but it was like, it's basically a loose perm. And I'll tell you, it was quite an experience, because what they do is they wrap your hair up in rollers, right? Uh, But these are quite wide rollers, and they cover it in all the perm chemicals or whatever that kind of you know, fuck your hair up. And then, you know, when you get put in like a cone thing over your head, have you seen it in the movies in like the 1950s, a lady has a cone on her head. 
So they put you in the cone, but this cone has all these tubes, and the tubes plug into the rollers, so that the air that's in this tube that you get zipped into, it like zips around your head, so your like hair is all up in this cone. All the tubes have air shooting in, so the air, the hot air, is pumping inside the tubes and around your whole head, so it's a very hot experience. I tell you right now, I was sweating my tits off, in this cone alien shell and and it was in the it's this is in covid time so i also had a mask on and i was just very hot and bothered let's just say that very hot and bothered you were very baked and steamed i was baked i if imagine if i had been <laughs> baked on top of that i probably would have keeled right over that sounds amazing i i've never i've never tried that i've never i've only ever once had a very loose pendant oh. and yeah very it was when my hair was quite short and i thought i'd give it some texture and some waves but i've never actually treated it ever since so um but that sounds like a really fun experience it's like well, i felt go to town your hair looks lovely. Oh, thank you. I feel like I just emerged from the ocean. If only it was long enough to cover the nipples, the fantasy would be here. I mean, but that's the thing. Once you start curling hair as well, it gets shorter because of the way that it sits. (laughs) This is my problem. My patience is thin. So I've been trying to grow my hair for six years or so, but I've done many things. I've had an undercut. So the back bit of my hair is shorter than the rest. I got a mullet cut in. So the whole front of my hair is shorter. So there's only one strip. Probably about one fourth of my hair in the middle, uh, middle back that is its full length, which now that I've had waved is not even to the nipples. We'll get there. We'll get there one day. I'm so glad the listeners can visualize the intricacies and the irregularities of the hair on my head. And we have told them that yours is very, very long. And now I know the secret. You had a perm many, 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 many years ago, a very loose one, and you've not done anything since. That's the secret. You exactly. gotta leave it alone. Yeah, I haven't touched it. Exactly. We gotta, I think, and let nature do its cause. And if we, wa- I was like thinking, if I want to change my hairstyle, I might <gasps> get a wig. A wig? <laughs> I, I like... Yeah, a wig. I want one of those. I, say, but, um, I think I saw you a photo of you in a wig the other day. Did I not? I mean, who knows what that was? <laughs> it could have been a wig. It could be very real. But um, but yes, you could no. Have I just had styled that hair. Yeah, you uh, tell us about this hair. Tell the listeners. It's a visual experience, after all. I think basically, I've been. I do over lockdown. I guess like uh, playing around with hair, getting a bit bored, looking at myself in my bedroom mirror. I was like, I want a fringe, but I actually mm. don't want to cut. It. So I was like, Do you know what? This will be my first foray into um, into someone else's hair or something. So I, yeah, I got um, I got myself a little treat for my head, which has a fringe on it, and so mm-hmm. I can have a fringe day or not a fringe day. One of those moments. And is it an individual fringe piece? Um, it's actually a piece that I integrate with my own hair. Yes. So it's it is fully long as well. So it just it mixes in and blends in really nicely. Um, and I chopped it myself. I cut it myself. Your hair is like the one B, right? Black. It, yeah. Do you know what? Actually, it's really difficult because annoyingly, my hair starts to go naturally like brown at the end, Lighter. so it's like ombre, and um, so mm. I, I can't get things to match exactly. So that's one of the reasons I do like using my own hair for like most of the stuff because it is quite. It's always a challenge. Like, do you know when you're getting ready for a show and everyone's, and you're like, you got one hour and a half before we're on stage. And then everyone's like, okay, I'll do my makeup. And then everyone just whacks on the wig and they've completely changed their look. And I'm like, fuck, yeah. I've still got to like crimp my hair and like do all yeah. that stuff. And it's long and like. And it's very long. So it takes a very long time. Yeah. Oh my God. One, I, I do remember a time, I think we were doing the Mighty Hoopla Festival and it's hot. It's re- like really hot inside this summer, tent. right? We're talking summer outside plastic tent. Exactly, it's like a microwave. It's sweating, and there's like thirty bodies in the same tent, and um, and I was like, oh, I still have to like crimp my hair and do all that stuff with like these like hot shit shoes. And I was sat there sweating, and I was like, do you know what? Like, I might not do that <laughs> in future. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and I try not to anyway because yeah, I don't want to damage it, but um. I hope y'all get in the hair tips right now, all you listeners. Yeah, who knew? This is the beauty episode. <laughs> Welcome to Bitten Peach Beauty <laughs> with Shay Shay and LaPhil giving you all the hot tips. Too funny. And I did see it on your Instagram another wig, or maybe it wasn't. We don't need to tell the people. You had a little asymmetrical, very 
Posh Spice moment. Could you tell us about that, perhaps? Oh, yes. Oh, my alter ego, Posh Spice. Uh, yeah, that is basically, um, that is, do you know what? I think in all my history of like performing or whatever, I've only really worn like two wigs and like, or like regularly anyway. And I remember like the first time I wore a wig was like a Cindy Crawford, like big ass thing. And then the next one was, mm-hmm. um, Posh Spice. Like, and I've just always worn this Posh Spice wig and it's, uh, it is a nice little like barb that I got from Peckham. Um, yes. and that has like traveled around with me as I've been doing like uh, Posh Spice with like the Mel Z tour last year. Like, and uh, so, yeah, it's oh, gone oh, around oh, and like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Oh, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Okay. I want to know a little more. I want to know a little more because I got to only witness this from from the interweb. You and four other queens mm-hmm. got to go on tour with Mel C, a.k.a. Sporty Spice. A.k.a. Queen. Around, a.k.a. Queen. <laughs> okay. That's the, her official title is Melanie C, Sporty Spice Queen. She was traveling around the world doing a lot of like pride events and stuff. And she had this group of five queens that did homages to the Spice Girls, right? So you were posh. Yes. Which the, the Sun newspaper ended up effect, like calling me Gosh Spice. Gosh! Gosh! Spice. <laughs> oh, gosh! Oh, dear! Look at Yeah. Oh, my God. The sun burned them all. <laughs> and where did you get to go? So, yeah, so, th- so that tour was, um, it followed on from the Spice World reunion tour with all the, f- with all the four girls. And, um, literally three days after that, with we went. all the four? Oh, uh, uh, we have Posh Spice Erasure right there. I know! It was so it's sad. you! And you're like, oh, all the four girls. <laughs> with all the four, yeah. Yeah, because Posh didn't want to show it. Um, so, yeah, so literally, actually, no, it was two days after that reunion ended at Wembley that me, that um, all of us started rehearsing for this show that we we're going to do with Melanie. And mm. we had like maybe one rehearsal with her before we flew to Brazil and literally went Whoa. straight to Brazil that week after and started off the tour in Sao Paulo with about three to four million people, um, which was amazing. It was it was their pride day. Yeah. And we were on top of a float, um, which was which was epic. It was I mean, our set was probably 40 minutes long, um, which was you had one rehearsal to do a 40 minute set. We had. Yeah, we had one rehearsal with Melanie. So she had to like Uh. learn everything. So we we, um, us five from Sing the Pink, we had maybe about three days like to get to learn all the set. Um, so, and we had one day with her and so it was quite a quick turnaround and yeah. we were still rehearsing in Brazil, like in their reception rooms, wherever. And, um, and yeah, and I think for that to be the first show was quite daunting, but what is nice about being on this moving, like float thing is that obviously if like you sort of fuck up, then that audience in front of you are already gone because they're on a moving <laughs> float. So like, it's okay. <laughs> All they saw was you fuck up once and they saw nothing else, but that's fine because the next people don't know you did that. Exactly. So we could keep moving. My hair was in my face. My wig came off. No one knows. We carry on. No one knows. Um, And yes, that was amazing. I mean, like to see that sea of people and, um, and driving through, it took like maybe about five or six hours, but um, the rest of the time we talked. Wait, what do you do if you have to pee? Well, there's a, there's a fantastic toilet on board that bus. It's a huge float. It's like, it's a massive float. It was, um, sponsored by Burger King, I think. <laughs> it was really funny. Wow. Burger uh, King for our queen, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Melanie C, aka Sporty Spice, aka Queen slash Burger King. <laughs> yeah, totally. Burger royalty. She's royal. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was really fun. So I think that was one of my most memorable experiences was doing, wow. and pl- obviously like playing Posh Spice, who's been my favorite since I was a kid. Um, like, okay. It's, it was a really memorable moment. And then we went to Chile after that and then went to New York, performed in Times Square. And it was this huge World Pride closing ceremony. So there was like Jake Shears there. There was lots of, there was so many different performances it was beautiful and then came back to Europe did all Europe and um, and then ended in Australia in March just before the lockdown and literally just did this show in Brisbane oh and Tom god. Hanks got COVID and we were all like ah I have to head home oh my god you were in Australia 
the when the pandemic started. Yeah. You were still on that tour at the time? Yeah. It was a long tour. Yeah, it was it stretched from yeah, from July through to April. Um through to March. But yeah, we were wow. gonna do we were But gonna, it was cut short. Right. Yeah, it we had one show left. longer. Right, exactly. We oh, did wow. yeah, we it was cut short. But um but yeah, I, I think I mean, it was a wonderful experience and to sort of finish it in Australia was quite nice. You should have stayed in Australia. <laughs> well, a few of the others stayed a bit longer. And I was like, really? You're going to stay a bit longer? You might just get stopped. Because I, I was like, I literally, I remember it was my dad's birthday and I really want to get mm-hmm. back and see him. And I, and I remember that at that time I was like, oh my God, do I go back and see my family or not? Am I allowed to? This is still good. Like, I, like, I didn't know what I was bringing at that stage back from Australia. And um, yeah. so in yeah, the end, was... like, I did come back straight after the show. So I was only there for three days like flew out all the way to Brisbane for like three days and came back yeah that's intense you'll have to go back to Australia another time I would love to I'm dying to be there now Mm, I know they're living their life they're I hate it (laughs) I hate it I know I'm just seeing all the stories and stuff and just and hearing everything and yeah they're out they've done it well so you you made it back in time here to England to see your dad mm-hmm. for his birthday. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that kind of, I feel like that is right around the time where I have to ask my first question, my first big question. And I'm sure you know this question. I'm sure you've heard this question once, twice, one too many times. And that is, but where are you really from? <laughs> no, where are you really from? Re- yeah, no, really. I mean, where are you really from? No, no like before that? <laughs> I know. So my thing is, when they say, where are you from? I'm like, Huddersfield. And like, mm, like, really unsatisfied face. And they go, no, but where are you really from? I'm like, oh, okay, Brickhouse. But you'd never have heard of it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, where's your blood from? And I'm like, my blood? My blood. <laughs> my blood. My blood's boiling because you're asking me all these stupid questions. I know, bitch. it's too funny. But yeah, uh, but yeah, my my blood. My, my family. No, but I, wait, but before you tell me about the blood i am curious where's where where huddersfield i've heard the name Mm. but like where in the country is that so huddersfield is this lovely lovely little town in west yorkshire which is in between leeds and manchester roughly yes and um and huddersfield is i think it is england's largest town because it doesn't have a cathedral um, but it has a university. Which would make it a city. Uh, yeah, so it needs, a city needs a cathedral and a university to make it an official city. Um, wow. I know, right? But Huddersfield does not that. have a cathedral, so. And when you're more specific, what's the Brig, Brigbo? Brig- so Brighouse is the tiny town in Huddersfield. Yeah. It's Brighouse. She's a Brig. <laughs> House, <laughs> which was named after a house on a bridge, like how oh, perfect. And um, but it's a oh really, my God, that's really so England. I know it's so England. It's it is a tiny, 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 tiny town, and nothing ever happens from there. But most famously, like re- most famously, but like very recently, because Davina De Campos from Brighouse as well, um, ah. and we both went to the same school together. Obviously, Queer Divina. royalty, right from Brighouse. Like who'd have thought? Right. Hey? <laughs> House. I know it is a lovely town. So th- I, I did my, I had a song called Boyo, which was out last year, mm-hmm. and um, and I went back to Brick House to film the video there because it was a song about growing up and and about how I sort of like learned oh, masculinity. Oh, that's filmed in your hometown. Yeah. I was, I saw it. and I kind of wondered, like, what this feels more rural. <laughs> I know the houses and the hills. I think is the thing that gives it away. Like in London, the only hills are probably in Zone Three and Four, and like. Yeah. And especially the type of steep cobbled affair. And like, I love the architecture around Brighouse. Like, it is, I think, because most of it came from the Victorian time because the town itself was like um, a textile uh, factory place for, and everyone lived in those surrounding villages. So it, all the houses yeah. were like terraces. Um, so yeah, so some of the scenes and locations I picked were like these little terrace houses that go back to back and there's like, um, clothing, like line hooks, like connecting all the houses and stuff. And I loved that. It was like, it's such a community feel there. So nice. So, so this now, now, you know, you did talk about the blood, (laughs) the blood, my blood. I have to wonder in Brighouse, big Asian population. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, 
maybe they're all just hidden. I don't know. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, no. They're under the bridge. Yeah, they're under the bridge. Um, no, yeah, it's a very small Chinese population. I think when I was growing up there, I, we were probably the only Chinese family in Brig House. And, um, and then, wow. I know, because when I was at school, there, yeah, there was no other Chinese people whatsoever. And then the only other person that came in was when I was eight and they just moved over from Hong Kong with their family. And, um, and so there was probably such a disconnect between your culture and their culture because they just, they were fresh yes. arrivals and you'd been born and raised in Brick House. Yeah, yeah. And I was expected to be the bridge for her. So when she... The, the bridge of Bridge the, House. <laughs> I know. Oh my God, it's, it's full circle. Um, but yeah, I remember the teacher come, like, coming to me and like, can you please help this person um, sort of like get familiar with all the like Brick House and customs and cultures and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I'm still trying to fit in myself as like... Um, mm-hmm. And like, um, so yeah, that was quite... It was quite like difficult because there isn't much Chineseness in Brigas whatsoever. And and, and and the things that I've sort of um would be familiar with were like the takeaways and the restaurants, because that is the only type of Chinese thing that exists in West Yorkshire at the time. Um so that's what I and that's what I grew up in as well. It's like my parents worked in takeaways and restaurants. So yeah, that's part of my cultural background as I well. I feel like the classic like Asian immigrant jobs like takeaways restaurants like laundries like Mm. especially in the u.s Mm. like that's not anymore things have changed obviously but like historically those Mm. were those were the jobs that asian families got into because partially because in the united states it was like illegal for asian men to have like men's jobs men's jobs quote-unquote gender right so they had to have women's jobs quote-unquote which was like food and 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 clothes and cleaning and things like that Mm. so i have to i have to i'm curious at in a small small place being like figuring out your queerness has got to be a bit confusing and difficult but then also being the only Asian kid in town until, you know, What's-Her-Face arrived. Which one of those, like, how did you negotiate those two things in your head? When were you figuring it out as a little youngin? Oh my god, it was literally all... I felt like I was juggling all the time. And I think because... I think I already knew that I was gay when I was about four or five like whoa um because I I already fancied boys and I told my friends at school at my infant school that I was like I've got a boyfriend which was just <laughs> which is like I think one of my like grandma's friends like son or something that kept, that get, was like babysitting me for like an afternoon and oh my um, god I know, and I was and into the older boys. Oh my god, wasn't I? And we like we play hide and seek, and I'd be like, I'd be the one who was hiding, and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to be hidden, so I'll leave out a foot or something so you can find me. (laughs) (laughs) You should always leave out a foot for the fellows, right? Leave out a little wrist, a cheeky wrist, out of the closet or something. Um, Yeah, and I remember telling everyone that I was. I, that I was, yeah, with a boyfriend. And everyone at that time, like, kids were like, great, that's amazing. And it was only when I went to junior school that things started to shift. And I think people and the kids start to learn what their parents were teaching them. And, and like, you have yeah. those conversations. And then I realized, okay, um, maybe Ugh. I shouldn't talk about this because people are, like, um, hating me on for it. And then also at that time was, like, when I started to notice more things about my race. And... People like calling me names and stuff like flat face or like hey, yeah, because it was like cause... I oh we need to stop right now. I need to tell the listeners your face has many many peaks and valleys. <laughs> Those cheeks they're popping. There's no flatness to that face. They're smooth, smooth, no wrinkles. Right? Okay, but yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a flat face anyway. But like, I think there was there was just there because like. I think those kids were like, 
obviously they all had big noses or something but like um, I think they were just trying to find any ways that could be demeaning or insulting so things yeah. like fags that come out flat face and then like and on top of that I really enjoyed school like I loved like going to lessons so then I ended up getting called geek and then like like all that so then when you can merge yeah. them all together it's like um, you faggy geek you Chinese faggy geek and like, it's just like a three layered <laughs> tier thing it's like a whole trifle you're of, like, like you're like you're abuse. like Chinese, yeah, faggy, yeah, <laughs> geek, yeah. Okay, that checks out. I know. That checks out. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, everything's there. Um, so yeah, yeah, and and I think I think like ev- like all queer kids, right? But I think as soon as people start to like describe you in many ways, you then go, okay, am I this? Am I that? And then you start self analyzing from such an early age that like you've already developed yeah. a sort of a sense of like, who am I? What am I about? But before you even get to high school at age eleven, yeah. Right? I think we as queer people end up doing more identity work on ourselves, like during, you know, puberty and before that, than most straight people do ever. 100%. Yeah. There's still people now that I'm like, how did you, have you not asked yourself why you're doing this? Like, all the guys that just go straight for the, like, this, like, short back and sides I'm like you've learned that since you were like a little kid at school like have, mm. why have you not thought about other ways of like expressing your masculinity or like doing yeah all that type of stuff I know it's so funny that like during lockdown when salons were not open every straight man's problem was like oh my hair I don't know what to I do know. with it it's, it's an <laughs> inch long on the sides it's like I, I'm, I'm like girl embrace it do something with it like like, I mean, yes, it might be a bit awkward at first, but, like, embrace that hair. I mean, they just need to look at yeah. us and just <laughs> take it all in. We're back on the subject of hair. This seems to be... <laughs> no. <laughs> but I guess that's the thing about lockdown is that there was too many things throwing up for them to question. And they were like, oh, no, I can only deal with, like, where am I going to get my toilet rolls and groceries from? I can't think about changing my expression <sighs> of identity through my hair. <laughs> it's too much. <sighs> but we've gone all through it. All those queer kids have gone through it. All of us at school, having different parents. We're all having to, like, juggle all these, like, identity crises. And, like, and, and I think that sort of is that sense of, like... um earlier when you said there was like wholesomeness or whatever like i think as queer kids growing up in those places that are more rural like that there's no one like us we do we have to think about it and we sort Mm -hmm. of work through it and um and i think with um also i've had a really good sister like who i lived at home with she was like older younger 12 way older yeah like more than a decade Whoa. yeah and i would come home and i'm like someone said like this about me and she's like and she's had a tough day at work and she's like oh just tell them to shut up and then and that's, i was like is that it <laughs> she's like yeah <laughs> and then like, i was like yeah because it actually yeah it's not that deep like they're just being kids like and all i just need to do is like treat it as not that deep so, like, so yeah shut up I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing and get on with it. And yeah, I think that was the attitude that I Wow. Sisterly in. wisdom. Don't give a fuck. <laughs> I know. She's just like, whatever. Like, just get wow. on with it. Wow. Good advice. Easier said than done, but very good advice. At that time, yeah. And I think but it sort of does like put things sometimes into perspective because I was like uh, taking home loads of stuff from school and actually I could just do... Once my mentality shifted then everything became easier, I think, because I wasn't so inward looking then. So I want to, I want to like explore this era of like the youth, those developmental years, you know, we said, you know, us queer people often have to do so much analyzing and figuring ourselves out at such a young age. So I want to know, in those times, who was the first Asian icon that you can remember seeing that you were like, "Ah!" you were like, you were like, this is a future self this could be me or this is me or at least like oh there there's there's a future out there for asians to be powerful fierce amazing talented beautiful professionals Oh, I love those words. Um, do you know, sadly, I never saw one when I was going around that time, around that era. I ne- I didn't grow up with like anyone that I could sort of relate to in that way. Like I remember because around that time my parents would play loads of TV dramas from Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. like, and I think that's, that was my only type of 
place where I could see Chinese people. There wasn't anything in the media. There wasn't anything yeah. in newspapers. I, I just didn't see them. And like, and I didn't see them around me growing up. So it was about watching Chinese dramas and Chinese dramas are like epic. And like, and there's no Netflix. There's no internet. There was like, we didn't, my parents didn't have internet in the home until like just a few years ago. So we didn't stream anything. There wasn't anything. It was about, it was like these illegal video cassettes that were being handed from family to family. Like my auntie yes. would come around and she's like, I've got the new drama. And she'd drop off like seven cassette tapes and she's like you need to watch all these and my mum's like oh. and then it's like, I would sit down and watch them with them and I remember there was one of the defining moments in my childhood it wasn't someone that I could relate to but it was someone that I fancied and oh, okay. it was yeah and I was like and I remember watching this um, Chinese drama I think it was called Angel City or something like that in English okay. Okay. and there's an actor in there called Lei Hakan and um I think, yeah, I think that's right. Hakan Lee. Um, and he played an angel and he had blue blood and he fell from, he fell from heaven into earth. And okay, I'm, yeah, basically. I'm having to I, look him up right now just so I can you get a visual <laughs> experience. Oh my God. I've, I have not Googled that for ages. I might have to. But I remember watching him going, oh, he's such a beautiful angel. Um, and like, oh, he's Chinese. And like, and I was like, I love him. And I remember like, and <laughs> I literally felt like I, I love him. I love him. I remember. I love him. <laughs> and like, I remember having this rainbow colored notepad that my, Ooh. do you know when each page Yay. is like a different color, right? Yeah, totally. And I remember like, I drew in there, I was like, I drew a picture of him with his halo, and underneath I put, I heart, lay heart can, like underneath it. And, and, I remember one morning I went down for breakfast and my mum was there and she'd already made like a ham toast sandwich and she's like, here's your breakfast, Philip. I was like, thanks. And I started eating and she's like, I found your notebook. And I was like, oh. And then she's like, uh -oh. opens the book to the page that I've just drawn this picture. And, uh, and she, I can't believe I'm telling the story. And she basically was like, um, I see that you put I love Lei Hakan. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, just so you know, Boys don't like boys, okay? And I was like, uh, okay, it was actually for my friend, but um, okay. <laughs> for my school friend. And my then friend. I, yeah, my friend who would never watch a Chinese like drama yeah. that was based on cassettes. And I think that was like such an important, like a seminal moment in my childhood because I was, at first I was like noticing that I liked someone, like a Chinese mm -hmm. person, a guy. And then also my mum telling me that it wasn't right and that it wasn't good, like, and that I should never do that type of thing. And then I just, I sort of, that was the first time I was like, oh, fuck, I need to listen to my parents. And then I started to know that, I, or learn that being gay wasn't good. Um, so, yeah, that was an important moment at that time. And then I think then that sort of like set that, okay, I'm never going to talk about this type of stuff again. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so yeah, Lay Hat Can represents quite a lot of the memories around that time. Yeah, because like <laughs> it was a bit of a like sexual awakening. And then it was also like, a reckoning of, of of sexuality and shame at the same time. Yeah, totally. Wow. Oh he, he, I hope he knows how important he was <laughs> to you. <laughs> so when did you move to London? When I moved, um, oh God, it's a while ago now. Um, over 10 years, I moved for studying. So I, when I left school um, in Brickhouse, I like I was doing Brig in Brig House. House. I was doing. Um, I had gone to like a performing arts college on the weekends, like just to like learn or like to Good. just enjoy singing, dancing, and acting. And, and, mm -hmm. and it was like four hours on a Saturday, um, and I loved it. And so after school, I just wanted to do that. And so I moved actually to Edinburgh first after school for like six months yeah. to do like pantos and, and all that type of stuff. Um, realized I didn't like doing someone else's role of performing like what other people had written in a way that was like especially in panto and uh, i mean quite a lot of the jokes are problematic already yeah and, like, i was just gonna say <laughs> i was just gonna say especially the because i was playing aladdin like i was like leading aladdin and i was like at um, least you were asian right but <laughs> so, well they said but the, the jokes whole thing. were probably awful yeah i th I, th I do remember them 
I was just like, do you know what? I'm just going to roll with it. This is my first job out of school and like, I'll go mm-hmm. with it. Um, and I get to sing some nice songs. I get to wear some glittery costumes. I get to like rise out of the stage and all that Cut type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then, but then I was like, once I'm done, I'm done. And then, and then I was like, actually, I've always wanted to like create and I felt like the place to be was London. So I sort of set that in mind, but coming from Brie, I was like uh, work, like working class family, like not having much money. There was, wasn't was really a uh, way to move to London unless I was studying. And the only thing that I wanted to do was art. So I was like, I'll do my pre-BA and then I'll move down to London and study. So, no ma- so for my sort of college application, I put the same college three times just so that different subjects just so I could get into the college I was like and then you knew that and was the one down. yeah it was Campbell College of Arts and I was like I just want to go there because it's in like South London it's a bit more like community vibe um and had you visited or did yeah, you just know that in I visited once had. yeah and the, I got such a nice feeling from it because St Martin's at that time was in Tottenham Court Road um where they had that was like their building there yeah and I felt like that busy, was... Busy, hectic. Oh, yeah, it was so busy. And that's the thing. I was like, I want something which sort of still felt like up in Yorkshire. The neighborhood. Um, yeah. And like, and to get to know people and to like have a bit more of like this vibe going on. So yeah, Campbell was my top three choices. Oh my God. There was no way I wasn't coming down. And um, yeah, and I moved down and the... And yeah, and just immersed myself. And the rest is history. I've stayed ever since. I've never been or moved anywhere else. Um, yeah, you still live stayed. in South London, right? Yeah, I flirted with East London for a bit, and then <laughs> flirted with East London. <laughs> I did. I've I seen you there out. once or twice. <laughs> Was that you testing the waters? <laughs> oh, but I mean, but I mean, to have a permanent bet there is a different thing, it is right? Indeed. Um, and but yeah, unfortunately, our landlord saw the property, so we had to move back south because it was cheaper. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but I love South London. I am. But like, I get around. It's fine. It's a good base. Oh, gets around. <laughs> good to know. Slip into the DMs, y'all. That's my tagline. So at uni, what did you did you study music? I did not. I studied ceramics. Ceramics, um, ceramics, yeah. Whilst I was at, um, whilst I was doing my foundation up north. Basically, the tutor loved ceramics, and I saw where he was coming from. He basically said it was a material that you could learn a craft. So if you're paying for, like, yes. tuition, you might as well try and learn something. But you can also, it's transferable skills. You can do painting on it, you can do sculpture, you can do functional stuff, you could do design, yeah. you could do art. So I was like, okay. And, and, like, ceramics, I feel like, is a sellable art, more so than some other forms. Like, people yeah. will buy ceramics. Yeah, not the type of ceramics that I ended up doing. Oh, but. <laughs> okay. Tell me about these ceramics. Um, I love buying ceramics. Though. I love my friend who makes like pottery. I buy all her plates. She's called Jess Josh. She sells at Stepney Grand. Like, okay, Farm shout out Jess Josh. Yeah, totally. But I basically, I because I was interested in performance and I had the musical theatre or like performative background i was like how do i how do i negotiate that with clay and how do i make a clay a performative like element and um so i ended up doing live performance art where i would sort of like sculpt my body in clay oh. reconfigure it um do oh live my god yes babes i like there was a Art with a capital <laughs> T and then an E at the end. Art. Oh my God. Yes. That delicious word. Wow. Um, yeah, there is, I love doing it. I, I, I mean, performance art and live art is my thing. It's my jam. I love it. And there is a warehouse in Peckham that basically is not there anymore. It's called Area 10. Um, it was where the Wow Wow formed like the collective with Matthew Stone and all Gareth Pugh and all that lot. Like, uh-huh. um, they did massive rave parties there before like it got completely gentrified but i remember that warehouse oh, was basically parties i remember that all that um but yeah that warehouse was like this gorgeous space that you could do anything in and so i think when you get given an environment to respond to that sort of let me sort of loose in a way and i was like okay this isn't that formal this is something i could experiment in so i got this like i found this little alcove cave room that basically people had to crawl into which there was no door it was like a little portal that you had to go through so i was like they would crawl through into my making den where there would be like semi-naked boys like me and like sculpting like clay figures from their bodies onto another body 
and like making this whole type of like immersive experience. So you were hosting the arty orgy. <laughs> yes, that is exactly. Crawl what into the glory hole. Oh into my the arty God, orgy. Yes. And um and yeah, it was great. And I think that it was great. Yeah, it, was great. it sounds great. But then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have to do a bit more technicality here. So uh, over the years, I sort of learned a few more skills and like how to create really nice sculptural objects um not on the wheel not on the pottery wheel unfortunately for the listeners i was i was spinning my hand around like trying to ask (laughs) about that wheel it was like either spinning your fingers like a wheel or doing something funny poking in with your finger um but yeah like clay yeah was a very useful material to make things from and i sort of approached it in a way that pattern cutters and dressmakers would form like slabs of materials so i've created bigger sculptures and 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 actually the first exhibition that i ever did was um it was an arts council exhibition called pop sculpture the philosophy of making which was the first wow. um exhibition that i basically would i was i created a temple basically in this gallery in camberwell space um surrounded by ceramic objects that i'd made that sort of resemble a cross between pop culture and religious iconography. Um, so it was like okay. some marrying like things like yeah. the Madonnas and Queens and everything, but as like these, um, re- almost like religious figures. And so mm-hmm. they were like lining the space. So it formed like a bit of a pop temple where I was then baptized as Le Phil. And uh, that was my first sort of oh. like performance and crossover into Le Phil. You were literally born that, that, that stage name was born in that show at this event it was like quite like a a ritualistic birthing yeah that is the word yeah (gasps) totally wow oh my god i feel like not very many people have like that exciting of an origin story of like their first you know (laughs) forays into performing or using a new name but that is like yeah that is the one i mean like i I was trying to get a arts council funding and i like and i was like i do want to make a memorable show and i want to make a show that like justifies funding and and yeah, so it was a crossover. It was a crossover between pop music, between ceramics, between live art, sculpture, and, um, and the way that it was presented was like the plinths were, the plinths that these sculptures were on were all staging. And it was, so it had that element that was in, like an installation, but it was, Mm-hmm. also felt like a pop concert on the opening night but then the rest of it felt like a exhibition for the rest of the week so there was all these like different layers that i tried to like bring and so my name like le phil it, i at that time was like the idea it means the thread in french um so i sort of like saw it as like the thread that connects all these oh disciplines. my god i did not know that right like multi-layered so i, I thought you were just le phil is in the phil like the phil yeah it and was isn't like that, that. is it not your last name uh, my name, my last name is Lee. So yeah, so it, is, it was looking at that, but I was like, but can I play on that and make it the, like the film? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Th- so it does reference yeah. that as well. It's a bit like the Hoff, which I love. Like I was like, that's the yeah, Hoff. I love that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Hoff. La Phil. <laughs> um, and also it's like the masculine appropriation of La Fille, which is the girl in French as well. So <gasps> it works course. many, many layers. Okay. Put, put yeah. that art school degree to work. <laughs> I know. And were you already making music by that point? Had you started that earlier or was that like the beginning foray into it? That was the beginning foray. Like before that, I'd been making the soundtracks for the live performance work, which was a bit more abstract and a bit more like otekra, like quite glitchy, like bleep, industrial sounds and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, but I, at that time as well, I think I was coming through a thing where I was just, I didn't know how to focus my future. Um, because with an art degree, I was like, I, I don't, I don't know how I could survive in that. At the same time, I had this huge love for pop music that I'd never, um, that I've had since I was three years old, like, um, and learning like Kylie Minogue when I was three, Spice yes. Girls and all this stuff, like has been in my sort of like periphery. Um, and I felt quite stuck and claustrophobic that I couldn't explore that, especially the more that I was going into the fine art world, the less sort of, of a relationship there is with pop culture and yes. music. And mm-hmm. so I was feeling that sort of like tear apart. And I was, and at the same time I was working for a magazine as well, which was um wallpaper magazine. And I was sort of going in a different direction there as well. And all these like 
avenues were great, but I felt a bit lost. And the thing that sort of brought me back was that show, was that exhibition, because I was like, do you know what? I'm going to write music for that exhibition. I'm going to write pop music and just do it as an exercise and, and say, okay, will you work with me? I've got this arts council show. I'm going to try and write some music and let's see what happens. And so those first three songs that I wrote for that show ended up going on the first EP like a few years later um, because I really enjoyed writing them and I really enjoyed performing it and I loved the experience of doing that and putting those lyrics and all those like thoughts and concepts into these songs. And so that's why I called the first EP Pop Sculpture as well. Because uh-huh. it is like pop music as a sculptural form. Um, so yeah, so that was the story of how the music started. And then since then, it's just been a case of developing it and refining it. And, um, cause I've never, yeah, I've never studied music ever. So it's I been just, a case of playing as I go. I would have just assumed that you had, but it makes so much sense that you say that like pop and sculpture, like that is your background because your shows are so, they are pop. They are a pop concert. Like, every time I've seen you, you have two backup dancers. There is full choreography from beginning to <laughs> end. But the thing that I really took take note of is visually, you obviously really think about the arrangement of you, what you're wearing, the people on the stage, so that moments of stillness are very, you know, thought out and balanced and beautiful stills. And that's why the pictures are always icon <laughs> yeah i do i do love a good blocking session <laughs> i do yeah i bodies are sculptures i feel like so i feel everything that i do is definitely considered with like an aesthetic approach um and and i love the idea that the body is like a sculptural canvas so the way that styling works is really important the way that how um if some things are emphasized or or masked or like in terms of m-a-s-k not like masculine um but or that but yeah like <laughs> all that too so there, there are lots of different ways and i think feel like over the last couple of years as well especially it has been how do i negotiate that type of art practice with music uh, sometimes it goes a bit more commercial and pop sometimes it goes a bit more left field and arty and, and i'm still exploring that now like with each new song or each new project mm-hmm. um but yeah that is where my interest lies from that type of art background and how yeah and how to make it into a into a form that is more accessible for people and then lyrically i know you in some of your songs especially kind of talk about um, cause often, you know, there's t- discussions of relationships and entanglements and these things. And you will bring up issues of identity in the way of like the way other people perceive mm. you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. There, I mean, yeah, lots of the songs that are from obviously experiences and, and I, I think maybe one of the songs that maybe you're referring to as well is 24 seven, which was a song, um, yes. which I love. Um, it's, it is a song that I wrote basically about being available 24 seven and how it's, and how I sort of felt a bit fetishized in a way at being an Asian queer person and, mm-hmm. and how I felt that I was always having to be there to be like ready 24 seven for anyone to sort of consume or to sort of like procure from. Um, and I guess there was this sense of, um, agency that was like trying to like claim back with the body and through that song. Like, um, so the, the chorus is everything you want, you've got to have it like that type of vibe. But at the same time, it also works as a really fun pop song. Cause it does. Yeah. Everything you want, you got to have it. Um, but it was a bit more of a, there is mm. like a deeper critique to it. So that's what I tried to explore with the live versions of that song was having this middle eight that basically is like a shopping voiceover that basically introduces me as this, um, Product. Androgynous Asian sensation. Yeah. S. Available for you to like. And it, it, like, you can use this while your wife is at work so you can actually have fun with it and you know what to do, type of thing. Um, and that sort of like sets that scene for that mm. song, essentially. But, um, but as the song in itself, I also want that to work as its own like pop song. So when you sort of see the music video that's on YouTube, it is literally just a phone, like, it's a fun video that sort of picks up on the idea of like commerce on the, it's set in Chinatown in the Chinese supermarket. It starts, starts off there as like a, 
like presenting me as like this good that you could purchase um, and then I run out of that and then enter into these like toilets in in London like these public toilets and again it's like this idea that you could be consumed there as well um and then mm-hmm. the video sort of like is a foray through the wild streets of London so i want to know about when it comes to being like an asian queer person especially one as beautiful as you with long ass hair what <laughs> fuckery do you have to run into on a regular I, basis? Uh, well, I guess it's the, the the thing that sort of comes out from, I mean, aside from like your casual racism or like <laughs> all the things that you get like chink that you get shouted at, which is less so in London than like yeah. than other places, I have to say. Um, it's more like that. Mm-hmm. There's like this covert type of racism, which is all about fetishization and. Um, and attitudes towards like femme queers because i feel like most of like western guys i think when they're dating or caucasian guys think like anyone who looks asian is almost subservient and the way that they can talk to you is like um like quite fetishistic Mm -hmm. um which i don't really like and i don't try and participate in i try to like if someone like like goes like sort of that route i try and like bring it back into some sort of like a into a northern banter type of stuff and like um so i feel like it's more stuff like that and yeah and especially like with dating and and romances and stuff like anything to do with relationships i think most of the guys that i've been with have tried to like um i guess not have that side public um, because they think that like maybe Asian femme queer isn't a person they would be seen dating to show their family type of vibe. So that's my experience. Ah, uh, um, I feel like you may have you may have. Is there a lyric in one of your songs that kind of refers to you being the person's secret? Um, yeah, I think a few of the, a few of my tracks, like, sort of speak about it. Nightlife is one of them. Nightlife is a ballad. Yeah. That's the one. Um, I love Nightlife. Um, <laughs> me too. That's, that, that's the one that I was just thinking of. I, I can, like, see it. I can yeah, hear it. Yeah, Nightlife was written basically about, yeah, the lyrics of, like, you only want me in the nighttime and, and, like, you've got your, yeah. like, lovers in your, in, in your daytime and, and, and it's just about being, like, a guilty secret. Um, which, yeah, which I abhor. Like, I hate that type of idea. Um, and, yeah. so yeah, Nightlife was written, as, yeah, about mm. that. Are you working on music now? Is there some project in the works that you want to tell us about? Yeah, I'm like, I, I mean, I'm always constantly writing onto my like voice memos on my phone. Um, but at mm-hmm. the moment, yeah, I've, I've just, I've done some new demos and, <clears throat> and, um, yeah, I'm working through new music. And I mean, it's always like a hard process because it's like, especially, when you're working for yourself and there's no like I'm independent like there's no like label that going you've got a deadline you need to like write an album within like the next month so we can like push it out like everything is like so self-dependent on like on how much like you want to put something out and also how yeah. much you can afford to as well and like so like it's expensive isn't it's it it's so CBS expensive space. yeah right. and like and and to put out a song like you've obviously got things like your label costs and marketing all that type of things and putting a video together and yeah so i think expensive exactly so yeah so part of that was like how do how yeah i need to sort of figure that out as well as like so musically i'm always writing but then like if i want to put something out it's like actually how do i work on this as a whole project and obviously through the whole pandemic it's been really hard to sort of like put things together like as a project and financially team-wise so yeah um so yeah only now that things are about to pick up um, can i sort of mentally go oh yeah i think i'm ready to do something again yeah (laughs) like yeah and i feel a bit more comfortable to like branch out again so yeah, so new things are coming. Uh, yeah, coming. Yeah, and I love the new songs as well that I've written, like that I've been writing. Oh, I lit- your ears, people! Oh my god, yeah, and like that's the thing. Like some of the ones which like I've done, I literally sing them around the house all the time. I love them; they just creep into my brain as I'm washing the dishes, as I'm showering. I enjoy shower drinking. You ever you ever oh had a you ever had a cocktail I in have the shower? Never. Oh my god, oh, that's great. Wine, shower wine. Oh my god, and. 
Straight out of the bottle. You must be. So, oh yeah, straight out of the bottle. I was gonna say you must be so skilled to not like get that shower water into your cup or your glass. Oh no no no! Right out of the bottle, and then you put it up with the shampoos and stuff for safekeeping. <laughs> you know how to live. I'm curious if you're allowed to tell us because I know you're gonna make an appearance in a film coming out. Oh, are you allowed well, to tell us anything? Uh, how to, can I say it? Can I say it? I'm just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Disney film. <laughs> the film is going to be in Mulan 2. <laughs> uh, yes, yep. completely. The star. Yeah, the totally. star. They've that replaced yeah. the actress and it's going to be... Mulan 3 you. and 4 and the prequels Oh, good. Well. Oh, good. Yeah, the whole Mulan cinematic <laughs> universe. The real MCU. I know. All of the above. Okay. That brings me to the exciting moment. Now, this podcast is obviously so very important to the culture. It is a historic day today, you and I on this pod. And we are going to contribute to queer Asian history right here, right now, because it's time for me to get out the queer Asian Pokedex. This is when your sound design could come in with a little beep, boop, boop, beep, beep, boop. <laughs> and um, we need to contribute at least one new entry of something that you think is so iconically queer that it needs to be documented for all of history to know about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Iconically queer or iconically Asian? I meant iconically Asianly queer. <laughs> iconically okay, queer yeah. and Asian. <laughs> Oh, the above. Well, my contribution to uh, to this box, I hope it's not already in it, is um, actually I've got two. Oh, one's like one is like my like sort of art passion, and one is okay. just like my daily passion. Okay, they can uh, both go in. They both belong. Uh, amazing. Okay, so the one of the art passion is a director called Wong Garwei, or yeah. Wong Garwei, as you would pronounce. Like, I love his work, and like, and I feel, yeah, I like amazing stuff, right? And I, oh, and I in think the mood part for of my love maturity is probably yeah. in my top five films of all time. Exactly. I just yeah. think it is the most beautiful <gasps> film I've ever Completely. seen. Completely. In the mood for love, like, the visuals, the, the sort of the mood of it, and the sentiment of that romance, and the way that it's captured, like, through through Ugh. through the visuals through the sort of like sparse language through the, like it's it's amazing and I, and I remember watching that i think i think when i was a, yeah maybe when i was a teenager and i was like <gasps> i want to fall in love like that and i feel like me yeah, exactly right and he said <laughs> he sets that Tony tone long i know i know and like um and one of my other favorite films that he's done is called happy together yes that's which has the got lazy one yeah which um I mean, he, he also describes it. He was, I think when he, when he was asked about it and was like, is that the gay film? And he was like, well, no, it's, a, it's a film about relationships, but it happens to be two guys. And like, and oh, in a way that exactly it's not like it's not become a thing. It's just, it just happens to be these two beautiful, like guys who have this like relationship that is turbulent but it's also nuanced and it's also like full of regret but there's also joy there and sorrow and it was just painted this whole like 360 of like a relationship that was like oh i'm so sad i love it though i love it and um so yeah i think his movies sort of like formed part of my like uh maturing maturing into an adult and like that sort of phase from being a teenager into a young adult going oh i really yeah i want to be in that world that he's created oh Um, i know they're so beautiful okay wong kar wai is slammed into the queer asian pokedex snatched in you've got one more entry you said this is more your everyday (laughs) choice your passion you're already laughing is it ridiculous (laughs) it's because i eat it today as well it's the nissan ramen you know like the noodles (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm familiar because i feel like they have like like literally as like if ever like if i was broke There'd be this pack of noodles which would save me if I was like happy. If I got in from late, like from a show. If I like coming late at night, and I've got these like yeah. Chinese noodles that basically I had like I just remember growing up as a kid. Like it'd be like <gasps> called suya, like when you have like late night like food, like late night snacks. Okay, yeah, midnight and, like, snack. Yeah, so like we'll make you some like gong dai mi, which is like yeah, 
the Nissan ramen thing. And, um, and so it was always been like a naughty, like snack as, as a kid, but like it was something that I literally am so familiar with now as, as an adult. It's carried me, it's seen me through, like, yeah. The dark, <laughs> the dark times, the poor times, exactly. the thin times. Yeah. Did you ever do that thing as a kid where you'd, um, you'd pour the seasoning into the packing, you'd smash it up and you'd eat it like as if it was like, <gasps> Crispies? Oh my god, I've never done that. That's <gasps> you have I've to try it. You have to try it. You open, you get the you get the packet out, you pour the powder in, and then you close it back up and you smash it into pieces. You shake all the powder on, and then you eat it like a little crisp snack. That is so amazing. Okay, that's opened a whole new dimension. Put that on the to-do list. That's what I did as a kid. That's what we did at school. What is your <laughs> favorite flavor? My the sesame one. Like, so they, like, yeah, it's a red packet, and, like, yeah, it's my, it's, it's good, because you can just mix it with so many things, like, um, and, yeah, literally, my sister, when she goes to, like, the Chinese supermarket, she buys it in the massive boxes, so it's, like, 40 <gasps> packs per, like, box. Yeah. You get to get a few boxes in, and, like, <laughs> lets the family go wild on it, and, like, and apparently it's not, like, good for you, but, like, do you know what, if you are boiling it, boil it in a separate water to the soup that you'll be eating it from. Apparently. So yeah, so you boil up the pasta and boil up the pasta. Boil up the noodles in one pan of like water and then but uh-huh. make your soup and your broth in out. another separate. Yeah. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. So I think Interesting. that's the way. good to know the tips. Now are you one of those people that you do you like to kind of jazz it up? Do yeah. you pop an egg in there? Do you oh. put some fresh veg? Yeah, yeah, all of the above. Okay, yeah, walk totally. me through. What's the recipe? Tell the people. They want to know. We started with <laughs> our beauty tips, and now this is a cooking show. <laughs> I love... Okay, so I do like to um, chop some onions, and I have some spring onions, and I have mm-hmm. my ginger, and I boil that yes. up as like a like, broth thing. Yes. Um, and then I sort of transfer everything from that into, well, the noodles into this broth that I've made that has been like simmering with maybe like some pak choy or some like broccoli, like oh. very healthy, very simple, but very quick. Yes. Like it takes like five minutes. Like, to And you use like the that. seasoning packet as well. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. If I'm in a rush, oh. then yeah. If yes. I'm in a rush, then I do. If I don't, then I sometimes have some bouillon in there as well for like, a different vibe and then oh. add some like different like soy sauces, mix some sauces. Yeah. Oh my. But always How end gourmet. with me. I know. Oh my God. Well, yeah, when you have it like so often, like, <laughs> you have to try and find ways, right? To like spice it up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, touch it, touch it up with some sesame oil at the end and you're good oh. to go. Yeah. But yeah, fried egg mm. on top of it is always like quite cute. Oh as my well. gosh. Okay. Well, like, really our listeners nice. now have something they need to go cook. What they need to do is they need to get two right. ramen packs. One, they need to pour the powder in raw, <laughs> smush it up, and eat it as a snack. And they can eat that while they do the gourmet version, which you said, where you have the broth in a separate bowl, you got the fresh veg, you might pop a bouillon cube up in there. Yeah, yeah, all the above. For the full experience. Yeah, totally. I mean, because I'm not a meat eater, search so like, but if you were, then you could always, like, boil up that broth with, like, something and, and just... Do you know, like, the darbinos, like, those, like, giant pots in the middle of the table that you can throw, like, different... Hot pot? Yeah, Ooh. like, the hot pots. Yeah, so, like, all those noodles are perfect for that, too, and like i went to hot pot once while i was back home in california by the way listeners i'm back in the uk just so you know um i went to hot pot because things were starting to reopen and it was one of those hot pot experiences where it's like you pay and then it's all you can eat and you just keep Mm. ordering more like and because it's like they don't want human contact you just order on your phone and someone on a cart comes by and just like leaves everything on your table (gasps) oh so efficient. Oh, it was really quite an experience. My mom had never done hot pot before because famously my mother oh my is not God. Asian. She is white. And she just thought it was just the most fun. She had so much fun cooking That's it so on the table. I was like, it is a bit weird that like you pay all this money to cook your own food. <laughs> yeah, DIY, DIY. But it's so worth it. <laughs> it's also that thing where, though, where it's like you do pay all this money to also know that your food is properly cooked. So like it's like... It's come in on this raw thing, but at least you know it's gone through this, like, hot process, and it hasn't been dropped on the floor in between, like, that hot process to your mouth. Like, you can see. And (laughs) you know that, like, 
if it's undercooked, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> yeah. Have exactly. you ever seen videos of like people sneaking their own food into the hot pot place? <laughs> no, no. Oh my god, it's so funny <laughs> because like not all hot pot restaurants are all you can eat, right? Sometimes you pay based on what you order mm-hmm, and yeah. you're not allowed to bring in your own food but i've seen videos of people like literally like like someone passing someone else a purse over the table and like pouring <laughs> a whole raw chicken in there and then like and then like looking away all the other way it's so funny that's really funny i have to have a google of that oh my god do you know what do you know what i think not only does mm-hmm. ramen Nissen ramen need to go in the Pokedex. I think hot pots need to go in the Pokedex. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Throw it in there. Literally. Like the ingredients. Throw it in there. <laughs> it's very queer, right? It's such a queer experience. Yeah. Totally. Oh my god. Like, um, are you a fan of coriander? Yes. Okay. Good. Because I'm like, I love coriander in my hot pot too, but so many people don't like it. I'm like, how uh, can you not like coriander? But everyone's like, no, it tastes because... like soap. Yes, because apparently it tastes like soap. I'm like, what soap are you using? <laughs> I know. Oh, give me it. <laughs> Before we start wrapping things up, I need to know, well, I already know, but our listeners need to know where to find you on the socials if they want to hear the musica or send you a little DM if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, babes. Yeah, you can find everything at I am Lefil, I-A-M-L-E-F-I-L. So you can get me on Instagram, you can get me on Facebook, you can get me on YouTube, stream those videos, find me on Spotify, type in Lefil, find those singles and give them a whirl. Yeah, we talked about a few <laughs> of your great songs, but there's a whole plethora of discography to listen to. So go dive in. The, uh, you're already on some device listening to this podcast immediately as soon as this ends i want you to look up lafil on whatever streaming platform you can and and give it give it a go give it a whirl okay yes 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 wow we have given the listeners so much to chew through today including some ramen and hot pot and that means it's time for us to bid them adieu and I end every episode by inviting the guests to say farewell, goodbye in whatever way they so choose, whether it's in a human language, a body language, a song, or whatever you want. You say goodbye to these listeners in whatever way you so choose. Oh, what a lovely way. Well, I'm going to just do a nice little sweet little goodbye because I'm sure that you'll have lots of things to do today. You're going to go buy noodles. You're going to go get some like shampoo for your hair. You're going to drink loads of water and feel healthy. You're going to do a stretch and feel good about yourself. And you're going to live your life to its fullest and create whatever name you want to live by. Uh, So go be you and be amazing. Joy Keen. That's bye. Thanks for listening to these androgynous Asian sensations in this special episode full of ass. What we really need from you is to tell your friends to listen to this podcast, share it, share it, share it, get the Asian queer experience out into the world, give us a rate and review, you can follow us on Instagram at bittenpeachpod, and just basically scream about it. Just scream at the top of your lungs. Stuff like that.